0: There came a point in my life where I had to like pause. It was kind of a dramatic moment, actually. I started to use drugs when I was about 11 years old. And by the time I was 17, I found myself having qualified to go into a 12-step program. I had ruined my life. I had destroyed my relationships. The only good thing about moments like that is that it brings a level of clarity because everything has to stop at that moment. And everything becomes really, really clear. I think all of us get to that moment at some point in our lives. For most of us, it happens when we get a little bit older. And, you know, the busyness of life and all the stuff that's going on and all the things that have happened. What happens is is that we, we have a moment where we get to look over the fence of our lives and go, what is this all really about? It happens when you get a little bit older. But for some of us, that thought has been accelerated because of the year that we just had. We were forced to pause. We were forced to stop. Forced to look at our lives, and many of us found that we had spent 20, 30, 40, 50 years building a life that we did not like to sit in. Building a life that we did not feel was exactly what God wanted for us. This, beloved, is an important realization. It's a helpful realization for life. And the younger that you are, the better off you are when you find that out. I think in moments like that, we start asking questions, questions about purpose. Like, what am I here for? Why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? And then we ask questions like about community. Like, do I even like, how many oh my gosh, how many people decided that they were living with someone or married to someone that they did not like after, after being with them for three months and not going to work and all that other stuff, right? Lots and lots of people. You might be sitting next to them right now. Don't elbow them if you are. Let's just keep that to ourselves. But not only do we ask, like, hey, am I going, is there, uh, am I living out the purpose that God wants for my life, or is the, is the people that I'm going through life with, the people that I want to go through life with, but also we ask the question of, like, who am I really? Like, when all the lights are off, and I'm alone in the dark, who?" Am I really? These are the foundational questions of life. The answer to all of these questions, which, by the way, will direct your entire life, the answer is the resurrection of Christ. Jesus and his resurrection answers every one of these questions. In fact, Jesus has this incredible way of demonstrating how he answers these questions in a scene that we see after his resurrection, he's confronting his disciples in the most beautiful and loving way. We find our text, in fact, in John chapter 21, 1 through 18. Now, here's the deal. Jesus answers this question for us if we have ears to hear, because whether you whether you're having a crisis now, or just came out of a crisis, or gonna go, you're gonna go into a crisis. Here's what I know: every one of us are gonna ask questions about our identity, who am I really, our purpose, what am I here for, and about community. Do I really want to go down this road with these folks? We're all gonna ask that question, and Jesus is gonna. So you need to listen to the rest of this message because I'm telling you, your happiness depends on it. Your life depends on it. Your joy and your freedom depend on it, on the answer to these these questions that Jesus gives us the answer to. In John chapter 21, it's a very familiar scene. You might remember it from Sunday school growing up, or maybe you heard it or saw it in a movie. What happens is that uh, Jesus, who laid down his life, For you and me. You go, how did he lay down his life for you and me? See, here's the deal. In the end, there's a holy, perfect, and pure God. And the only one who can come into his holy, perfect, and purity is one who is perfect. Now, there's two ways you can get to heaven you can A, be perfect on your own. Shucks, missed that boat, right? or have someone who is perfect cover for you. It's almost like taking an exam. You can either get 100 on the test or you can have someone take the exam for you who can get 100. Jesus took the exam for us. Jesus, listen to me, took on the punishment that we deserve because of our sin and bestowed upon us the righteousness that he deserved. And by doing so, he liberated us to have relationship with himself, with the God of the universe. It's amazing. And so Jesus resurrects from the grave, and nobody's expecting this. Everybody's surprised. He shows up to his disciples three major times. It's unbelievable. And then he confronts his disciples who are now fishing. I'll just read it to you. Would you stand? It's a long passage. I'll read it to you, and we'll all catch up. We're reading from John chapter 21, verses 1 through 18. We stand at the reading of God's word to be reminded that God's word has authority, and we reverence God and that he has authority in our lives through his word. That's why we stand. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathanael from Canaan in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and the two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got out into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they, replied, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciples, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, it is the Lord As soon as Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he wrapped his outer garments around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? You dressed yourself and and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. May the Lord bless the reading and the doing of his word. In this passage, we see Jesus answering the three big questions of life. And he answers them with his resurrection. And his resurrection shows us, or the resurrection of Jesus shows us who we are, tells us who we need, and leads us where to go. The resurrection of Jesus shows us who we are, tells us who we need, leads us where to go. It answers the questions of purpose, identity, and community. Shows us who we are, tells us who we need, and leads us where we need to go. Why don't we say that together one time? The resurrection of Jesus shows us who we are, tells us who we need, and leads us where we need to go. He does. Let's look. First, shows us who we are. Now, you got to remember, there's a pre-resurrection and then there's a post-resurrection. So Jesus is talking to Peter specifically to Peter when we get to our passage he's speaking to the disciples he does this incredible thing where he makes breakfast for the, this is so much there's so much symbolism and there's so much beauty in this text that it would take us a lifetime to dig it out but let me tell you this is a very powerful text i'm just going to skim through it just so that you could see some of the highlights that we're going to look at here today jesus shows us who we are so what happens simon peter jumps off the boat we read it And he swims up to shore, gathers to Jesus. And the first thing he sees are coals that are burning and fish and bread. Anybody remember the last time Peter saw hot coals burning? Anybody remember? It was when Jesus was being beaten. And just a little bit before that, Peter said, all of these cats might totally deny you, but me, I'm down with you for life. Ride or die, womb or tomb. That's what he said in the Hebrew. If you could read the Hebrew, that's how it sounded like. He goes, I'll never leave. I'll never forsake. And then in the first chance he got, he left and forsook. Anybody can identify? Last time Peter saw the coals, he was warming his hands by the fire while watching his savior get beaten for his sake and not only did nothing but denied him wow. denied him and cursed himself jesus invites him says come come a little close and he shows them the cold. You know what it kind of feels like? It kind of feels like if you're a teenage boy and someone, and now this can't happen, right? Well, it can sort of happen. Like you're a teenage boy, and when I was growing up, if someone had found like a Playboy magazine, you know, your mom or dad found the Playboy magazine, you walk through the door, and they're showing it to you, and you're like. <laughs> now it's if your mom gets a hold of your cookies, and it goes, oh dear, Oh my. Your, your, your search engine history. Wow, didn't know that you could search for all that. It's the moment that you lend your phone to somebody and some illicit thing comes up and you're like, oh my gosh, I really should not be doing that. It's that moment. It's when you come to the coals and you see Jesus has it set up for you and you're reminded of your sin. Jesus knows what he's doing. You think Jesus doesn't know what he's doing? He knows what he's doing. And you go, but that's not very nice. Reminding somebody about their failure, reminding somebody about their sin, reminding thats I, I feels like it feels like he's he's twisting the knife. It feels like he's digging it into Peter. It gets worse. He goes to Peter, and he goes, "Remember what, remember what Peter said? If all of these cats leave, I'm still down." He goes, "So, Peter." You still love me more than these? These guys, these disciples. That kind of hurts. When Jesus not only reminds us of our sin, but reminds us how sinful our sin really is. Jesus is not twisting the knife. He's more like a surgeon using a scalpel. See, because this is what we need to know. Jesus knows that we need to have a clear picture of who we are. Or else salvation won't be a delight. Saving won't be glorious. If you and I, listen to me, when you and I come to Christ, what we think is that we're good people trying to get better. (laughs) That's why so many people, if you're in the addicted community or if you're in the 12-step program, you go, well, when I get my stuff together, you know, once I get clean, then I'll come to Christ. Or, or maybe it was why, like you, it was tough for you when you were living the way you were living. You were like, nah, nah, I can't go. I can't really uh, connect with Jesus because, and the reason was, is because you weren't good enough yet. You see, Jesus, the whole point of Jesus is that you're not good enough. The fact is, is that you're, if you're here, listen to me, if you are here. And you received Christ as Lord and Savior. You claim that Christ is your Lord and Savior. It is an admittance that you are so bad that someone innocent has to die for you. That's how bad you are. And Jesus is pointing out to Peter his failure because you'll never know how good the gospel is until you know how really bad you are. And he says, And he says, He has the coals there. And he says, Oh, Peter, make it. You love me? You love me? I'm fond of you. I like you a lot. See, Jesus knows that there is something that Peter needs to understand. That the condition of their relationship is not Peter's goodness, it's Christ's resurrection. See, before this, Before this, Peter is by the fire, and he's questioned by other people, but it's not in this loving way. They say, aren't you the one who was with Jesus? And he's like, no, 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 cursed himself. Now he's by a fire, and Jesus is saying, do you love me? Lord, I want to. He's been humbled. So if you're going to find out what your identity is, we have to look at ourselves warts and all. You and I are a mess. The way we say it in this church is that you are worse than you think. You are worse than you think. Like, not by a little bit, by a lot. You're worse than you think, but you're more loved than you can imagine. Amen. Before the resurrection, he warms himself by a fire made by the enemies of Christ. After the resurrection, he gets an opportunity to be come closer to Christ, to be reinstated and forgiven. Not only does the resurrection of Jesus show us who we are and how bad that is. It tells us who we need. Not only does it show us who we are, but it tells us who we need. Jesus goes to Peter. And he says, Do you love me? Do you love me? I know you love your stuff. I know you love your fish. I know you love your boats. I know you love your nets. I know you love your stuff. But but, 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 but who are we? Do you love me? Because the fact is, is that if you and I are gonna go through life, we're gonna need the one who says, Do you love me? The question is not coming for Peter's condemnation. The question is coming for clarity of his community. Peter needs Jesus. But beyond that, I want you to notice that Jesus is asking these questions with the other six disciples there. Remember they, remember they named seven disciples at the very beginning? Nathaniel and the sons of Zebedee. And, right. So they named these seven disciples. And as they named these seven disciples, Jesus is actually taking him through this process in front of them. That's a little embarrassing, right? Do you want your dirty laundry revealed to everybody? But let me tell you something. Jesus does it in community because he reminds us that everyone who needs Jesus needs everyone who needs Jesus. We need each other. That there's a community that we have right here, right now. And the reason that some of you were so... Deep, I feel like we could have played, you know, uh, uh, Old MacDonald had a farm and some of you would have cried because there was such a longing in your soul for the community of the believers to gather together and to sing to Jesus. To be reminded that you're not alone in your solitaire. You're not alone in your depression. You're not alone in your struggle. You're not alone. You need the community. Everybody who belongs to Jesus needs everybody who belongs to Jesus. And we gather together like this to remind us of this. Jesus not only shows them who he is, he tells them who he needs, but he's, he's telling you too, isn't he? You might be a long-ranger Christian. Or you might be, you know what, the way you're sitting right now might be the way you live your life, might be the way your soul is, with masks, hidden, partially revealed. And Jesus goes, no, 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 beloved, we need community so that we could be as messed up as we are with a bunch of messed up people pursuing the only one who's not messed up. That's what we need. Beloved, it's for you. He's reminding you that we were never meant to walk in Christ alone. We were never meant to do this on our own. We were meant to be with him. And to be with him is to be with his body. The body of Christ, the church. You're missing something. Listen, I know some of us right now are going through life and we're like, yo, a friend is a dollar in the pocket. Or we think, yo, this is the way it's got to be. Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. So important. Jesus invites you to ask him into your heart and into your life. Jesus asks you to invite the community into your life. Do you love me. If you love Jesus, you know. but you go like this. Here's, here's the problem, right? We go like this. No, no, no. I can't. I'm not. And, and if you're here, I'm kind of preaching to the choir, but maybe somebody will listen to this who's not necessarily here right now. But maybe you came because someone invited you or whatever. And you're like, you know what? I'm not down with the church. It's just full of hypocrites to which I go, I know, I know, I know. But we always got room for one more. We always got room for one more. You know why? Because we're all a bunch of hypocrites, aren't we? You know, this is as good as I'll ever look. You want to ask, ask what I really look like, ask my wife. She knows what I really look like. You want to ask how I really am. This is as cute as I get. When you ask my wife, you find out for real who I am, for real. The church is a mess. The point that we c- congregate and gather with the church is not because she's perfect or whole or good, but because he's perfect. He's whole, and He's good. Remember, we admitted that the only reason we could follow Christ is because we're such a glorious mess that somebody had to die for us. we got to move it. Jesus' resurrection, and before this, listen, let let me tell you something. Before this, before the resurrection, Peter needed no one. It was like, these guys, you remember when he said, these guys could, you know, they'll turn their back on you, ride or die, all that stuff, and he goes, And now Jesus is going, no, no, no. Peter's like, oh, I need these guys. The resurrection of Jesus changes us. It shows us who we are. The resurrection of Jesus tells us who we need, and it leads us where to go. Now, this part is not the sexy part. I should have left this part out, but I'm going to share it with you anyway. Jesus tells Peter, feed. Feed. Take care of. Feed my sheep. You remember this? Then he goes, hey, let me tell you where this following me is going to go. In just a little while, you're going to follow me. And they're going to spread your arms. Euphemism for crucifixion. They're going to take you where you, you're going to spread your hands, and they're going to take you where you don't want to go. Peter? Peter? You know what the reward is for following me on this le- on this side of eternity? You know where this is all going for you? You're going to die. You want to avoid that kind of death, just deny me. Because following Jesus was never meant to be a form of making your marriage better or your life happier or giving you more money or so that you could get not sick anymore or so that you could not use again or whatever it is that you go to Jesus for because every one of us goes to Jesus with something like would you give me something would you give me something and then and then he doesn't give you the something and you go what good is Jesus he doesn't listen to me but listen Jesus goes if you follow me it looks like crucifixion it looks like death isn't that scary Because that means when you tell your friends that you're following Christ and they all make fun of you and go, oh, you'll be back in a couple of weeks or months or whatever it is. And they make fun of you and you find yourself not being invited to parties, not being invited to gatherings. When your family, when your family goes, well, you know, we can't invite this guy because, you know, he's like a holy roller. And you're like, I'm just trying to love Jesus. And you find yourself. There's a little bit of death there, isn't there? There's going to places you don't want to go. Not only going not being invited, but also doing that which maybe you wouldn't have done before. It means laying down your life, spending what you have so that others who don't know Jesus might know Jesus because they too need to find out who they are. They too need to know who they're going with and they too need to be led by him. So could you imagine what if COVID-20 hit and you're forced to be at home again? What if it hit five years from now, but you decided this Sunday, this resurrection Sunday, you decided, no, 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 Jesus. Jesus is going to be the one who shows me who I am. He's going to be the one who tells me what I need who I need. And he's going to be the one who leads me to where I need to go. What if you started doing that and then you started to build a life that was around him rather than you? What would happen? How would your next experience be? Let me tell you something. You would have a lot more peace than you do now. Let me tell you something. You would feel more secure with your friends. You would have Your relationships might be tough, but there would be more hope in those relationships. When you got criticized because you knew who you were and you were told who you need and you were led where to go, when you got criticized, you would be able to respond. When people criticize you, it's worse than that because your identity is not in their opinion. Your identity is found in Jesus When you feel lonely, you would be able to go to Christ and his church and say, I feel so lonely. Can you you come around me? Can I come around you if you feel lonely? What an amazing, beautiful thing. Or, Or if you feel aimless in life, that you would confidently go anywhere on this globe that Christ would have you go. Beloved, the resurrection of Jesus means that he can even resurrect your dead heart to find hope, community, and purpose in him. Are you too good for that? Are you too good for that? I hope not. Now.